care for all Your bros can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I am Kate Willett I'm Julia Clare so by the time this episode airs, uh, the Trump era will be over. Oh my uh, God. The, the, and, you know. I'm going to miss him. <laughs> um, as a president, he was a terrible piece of shit. But as a reply as guy. As a reply guy. As a reply the guy best, only. He's the best of all time. Hang his jersey from the rafters. There'll never be a better reply guy. What do you think he's going through right now? Because it's like, I know what I go through when I can't be on Twitter for a few days. And it's like, you know, there'll be some uh, some shakes. I don't really know how to get uh, dopamine into my body. Uh, yeah. He's he's clearly dealing with that right now. He's, and also, like, I mean, his whole world is crumbling because, like, the Fox News is trying to distance themselves from him in some ways. I think, you know, the excitement is truly just that our national nightmare of Donald Trump is coming to a close. And also that Mitch McConnell is no longer Senate majority leader. Yeah. Although Schumer, like Schumer needs to fucking go. Like they, um, I guess McConnell and Schumer, I saw earlier this week, like they um, negotiated like a deal where Republicans would have, um you know equal amount equal amounts so, of seats on each committee that was so i was very angry about that as well but i didn't read the article and i read the article today and retracted my tweet because it's clearly that was like a, a misleading headline that cnn wrote work clicks and it seems very it, it, there's there's nothing about it that actually gives republicans outside control it's just like by equal representation it's like it's going to be a 50 50 chamber yeah um kamala harris is still going to be the tiebreaker and basically you know it it seems as though republicans are not going to be able to block things from coming out of committee so i'm i'm more okay but i was boy was i ready to believe that chuck schumer had sold away our hard one. <laughs> I mean, it's more for me, like, you know, I don't, like definitely, you know, I get the, like uh, a Democrat will be the tiebreaker thing, but you know, one thing that's just really infuriating is like, um, that there's any fucking pandering to bipartisanship oh, yeah. at this point at all, at all. I mean, not that that was like ever a good thing. Like Republicans are ghouls and Democrats are you know, sometimes slightly less ghoulish, but it's like, I mean, the idea that, um, (laughs) the idea that anyone cares about that, like when Biden was talking about developing, um, like a a stimulus package that was like bipart, had bipartisan support, who fucking cares, dude? Like people elected, um, you know, Democrats for a reason, because they wanted to like, you know, get, get money, get some help, you know? We don't want Democrats, we don't want Republicans to have, you know, disproportionate input on everything anymore, which is why Democrats were elected. So yeah, I, and it's how fast can they, how fast can they squander whatever goodwill that they gain? I mean, the thing is, like, you know, the Trump era, like we really saw um, just, you know, the fucking mask off, naked uh, racism of um, the Republican Party, you know, just the complete um, callousness and indifference towards any kind of economic suffering, like the complete, um, you know, just uh, like worship of, you know, billionaires and um, corporations. And it's like, you know, I mean, there's like, there was so much hate generated towards Republicans in these past four years, like that, uh that it's going to be like, it's going to be amazing when 
you know, six months from now, that's all gone because the Biden administration is not like addressing these, these concerns, you know, is not like meeting people's material needs. And I mean, of course, I hope that that doesn't happen, but definitely um, the, the rhetoric and, you know, some of these like reversals on decisions, like for example, with the student loan relief, uh, you know, debating if the stimulus checks are going to be $1,400 instead of 2000 It's just like, give it a fucking break. Like, don't squander the goodwill that you have like that fast. Like they're just, it's like they're playing, get their asses kicked in 2022, you know? I know. And, you know, we've had a, a revival of the, uh, the minimum wage debate because that is one of the things that, uh, that Joe Biden wants to put in his COVID relief packet package is raising the minimum wage to $15, which that would be, it's, it's a popular thing and it, and it would be a popular thing for him. Um, of course, you know, we've been having the, should the minimum wage be $15 an hour debate for so long that that is now too low. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I also read that he is canceling the Keystone pipeline that's Contract. good. Yeah, no, that's I mean, he's, it's, he, that, that's definitely a good two, thing. Two, two good things that are good. Uh, but I did want to read one thing because it is, you know, uh, it wasn't just Trump, of course. It was his entire administration of ghouls and all the Republicans who were complicit in his agenda and who actively voted for his agenda in Congress. Every one of them who, you know, was you know, kind of externally outraged by his rhetoric, voted lockstep with him uh, for almost his entire presidency. Um, but I did want to read this tweet from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo um, because... Is he the reply guy of the week? Is that why? I think he is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I think that he's replying to like modernity or the reality of modern day America. I don't know. But he said this wokeism, multiculturalism, all the isms, they're not who America is. They distort our glorious founding and what this country is all about. Our enemies stoke these divisions because they know they make us weaker. Wow. <laughs> okay. First of all, my baby boy, wokeism is not an ism and it's yeah. not a term. Wokeism. Uh, yeah. As much as I think that that is very funny and I will be using it moving forward. Um, but saying that multiculturalism is not only not who America is, but makes us weaker. It's like, okay, we are just going full white nationalist. Yeah. Out the door. We yeah. love that did you see it was speaking of going full white nationalist did you see um on uh martin luther king jr day they released that uh 1776 commit commission okay basically trump uh hired you know some fucking like it was like a collection of you know, conservative academics, and they basically wrote this, uh, like, kind of reinterpretation of um, American history, which I think the Trump administration called patriotic education, you know, just open propaganda. And uh, the conclusion, or one of the main conclusions of this report was that uh, people being mad at the founding fathers for having slaves was tearing mm -hmm. the country apart. They released this on, That's right. uh, on uh, Martin Luther King's Day. It was um, an answer to, it was kind of a quote-unquote counterpoint to the 1619 project that Nicole Hannah-Jones did for the New York Times. Um <laughs> that was that was very much uh obviously you know centered on uh slavery in america and uh it upset so many conservative i don't i don't know if i want to say leaders there are conservative pundits, pundits i guess yeah, like yeah. And shit. there's a few things that those like conservative pundit guys uh who love to like self-own on twitter they're all obsessed with like uh WAP, wet ass pussy. Yes, wet ass pussy. Uh, the 1619 project. Mm -hmm. um, what else are they? 
I feel like they always they always have things that they're very mad about, and usually uh, a black woman is at the center of the controversy. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think happens to the resistance now that there is no more Trump, at least in office? You know, my best case scenario for the resistance is that it splinters and we get the the more kind of like policy minded folks from the resistance to see the light and come over and join us on the left uh, in our fight for actual, uh, you know, policy measures that would address people's material needs. And then the ones who are just there for the post and <laughs> called Donald Trump a Cheeto will recede into history and go back to whatever kind of vaguely socially progressive tech space from whence they came. Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of like, I could kind of see it still being like obsessed with Donald Trump for like a long time, you know, just like, uh, yeah, just like not being able to let go of that particular mm-hmm. enemy, <laughs> you know, just fixating on it. Like people who Again, are I mean, obsessed wh- with their high school bully. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And as we said, you know, Donald Trump, the greatest there ever was, the greatest there ever will be. So I, I get it, but we do have to, uh, we have to let him go. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a lot about like, I have a feeling that since there's not going to be a Cheeto in chief anymore, it's going to be a lot about calling Mitch McConnell a turtle. A turtle, yeah. yeah. And which doesn't even have like the same fun anymore because he won't even be Senate majority leader um so yeah you know if those people want to join us in calling chuck schumer a a centrist bitch (laughs) yeah well welcome (laughs) welcome yeah um anyway we have a really great uh interview today um we have alice and maya from the new york city dsa healthcare working group and we had a really great conversation with them about um the new york health act which is uh the battle for single payer in New York right now. And that is, you know, that if we won this, that could be a really, really important step to getting um, national universal healthcare. And then towards the end of the conversation, we also talked a lot about uh, DSA, uh, real life versus online activism, you know, sincerity, earnestness, the things that you come to this show for. Uh, yeah so it was really fun um all right we'll see you soon uh happy end of trump (laughs) just listen to reply guys hello and welcome back to reply guys julia and i are so lucky today to be joined by alice murphy and maya rosenberg from new york city dsa healthcare working group welcome to the show alice and maya Thanks. Hi, thank you. Uh, very surprised when we uh, invited some folks from uh, DSA. I was expecting to see some bros. And yet, <laughs> uh, here you are, disappointingly not bros. Uh, Unfortunately where, not. Yeah, where are the bros at? Uh, that's my, my first question for you. We're hard-hitting journalists. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> The, the bros have taken a, taken a backseat for this one, I think. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So you guys are in DSA. Uh, you're not bros. Um, are you still able to be sexist and harass people on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, in line with the DSA code of conduct. Yeah, we, absolutely. Uh, there, there's, it's like, it's like the, the stack where you there's like an order in which you harass people am right. i understanding that correctly yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it's actually it's stack. called progressive stack progressive yeah. stack yeah so you, progressive it, stack of harassment that's yeah. what so, we love to do yeah so first you harass like Alyssa milano and then after that like near tannin i got it all right well, and then ourselves yes yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you can't you know it's 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 tough to be uh, a sexist as a woman, right? Because you you have to spend so much time being sexist to you, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Be sexist to yourself before you can be sexist to another person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
we're really stoked to have you on the show today because uh, we wanted to chat with you about uh, the New York Health Act, which would be so cool because we were talking about this on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity for universal health care in New York, which would be so cool, um, especially because uh, Joe Biden, not the most exciting pancake <laughs> in, in the stack when it comes to the policies <laughs> that we care about. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, you know, we've mentioned it on the show, but I'd love to hear um, in your words, like, what's a what's a kind of short description of this act? Sure, yeah, so the New York Health Act, it's uh, like a single payer healthcare bill for New York State. So it would cover um, every New Yorker, everyone who lives and works in New York, regardless of age, income, disability status, um, employment status, uh, it would cover all medically necessary services with zero out-of-pocket costs um, for everyone. So it's like in, in that sense, it's extremely simple and uh, I think pretty easy to get on board with. <laughs> What surprised me in my first um, like chat with with you all about this on uh, on email is like actually how close this really could be to passing. Like it already has a ton of support, and there's only, there would only be a few more votes needed to to pass it. Is that correct? Yeah, we're actually so we sort of have the assembly right now, so our main focus is on the Senate. Um, and after the last election, Democrats now have a supermajority in uh, the New York State legislature, which is very exciting and very good news for us. Um, so we're hoping that we can we can bring this to a floor vote soon. That's so cool. I would. I mean, I'm thinking about Andrew Cuomo. Is this something that Cuomo vetoes no matter what, or is you know is how does uh, how does our uh, our fave uh, neolib authoritarian uh, governor of New York handle this? Who who hates his daughter's boyfriend? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the main issue that first, and then the austerity. Yeah, I think he um he has not come out and said that he would veto it, um, largely because he, like, in, in times that he's spoken about it, has seemed to believe that it, like, wouldn't pass. He basically yeah. has, like, dared the, uh, the Assembly and the Senate to pass it, um, and, like, he, what he has said is that he thinks that, like, single-payer is something that should happen on a federal level. Um, you know, he kind of, like, pays lip service to stuff like this. He's obviously obsessed with austerity and is not particularly interested in like the healthcare interests of the working people of New York. Um, so we're not totally sure, like it's possible that it, he would veto, it's possible that he would kind of demand um, amendments, but uh, he, yeah, it's not, it's not totally clear at this point because he seems to think that um, it won't or, or shouldn't pass the legislation. I would, I would go so far as to say he is not interested in anything regarding working people in New York. Um, healthcare interests, housing, any sort of material interests. Uh, he, yeah, that in that way, he is very consistent, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and we love that for him. But yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you said that he's kind of daring the legislature to, to pass it because a similar thing happened with the slate of universal rent control bills that were passed um, through the state, uh, the state legislature a few years ago. Um, it was a similar thing. He just never thought that it would happen, but it would look to, I, I think what ended up happening, which is similar to what could end up happening here is that he is ultimately, even though he's, austerity daddy and um just like obsessed with you know cuts to medicaid and the like he i think he is more concerned with with his own popularity um and i i think that i think he would be more concerned about the possible public opinion hit um that would be implicated for not signing this into law that's what I think and slash what I hope. 
Um, I just hope that he'll be shamed into signing it. Because I think that's the only way with him. He doesn't have like a moral backbone. Yeah, shaming into signing it. We we love that for him, to be we honest. Love <laughs> we love that for him. Um, so, yeah, so, so kind of getting back to, you know, the present moment um, away from the future uh, humiliation of Andrew Cuomo, here we are right now. Uh, what is the work that is happening to pass this act? Sure. I mean, so I think it it like varies. There's a, a kind of huge coalition of people and organizations across the state who are working on it. Um, I know in New York City DSA, uh, we have like a, a few different balls in the air for it. So um, at the moment we have um, kind of a, a field team set up where like geographically based on where people live in the city, um, they can kind of plug into canvassing and phone banking efforts um, related to this uh, and also can um, can kind of work with the offices of DSA backed uh, legislators. So like I, I've been doing stuff in central Brooklyn where I live and we had a, um, a town hall with Jabari Brisport and Pharisee Front Forest um, and, and also some other like healthcare experts. So I think the work is both like kind of getting the, um, the word out about the New York Health Act. So just like, you know, being in Grand Army Plaza on the weekend or being, you know, in different areas around uh, the city and just talking to people about it and asking them to reach out to uh, Carl Hasty and Andrea Stewart Cousins, who are um, the heads of the, the different branches of the legislature. Um, but also just like, yeah, letting people know that this is something that exists, that it's like we we are, we could be close to single payer healthcare, but we need to build this like really broad base around it. Um, and then also, just uh, just kind of like working at this point, like these field teams are also kind of working in solidarity with um, movements for health justice and the places where we exist. Cause I think uh, like, while this is something that's very possible and why, while it's like such a common sense thing, I think uh, there are gonna be like very large challenges to it as, the, as it looks more and more possible and realistic. And so we need to make sure that there's like this huge base of support, which I think partially can be built by, um, you know, working on on some of the like really urgent healthcare struggles that are that are currently happening in New York. Would you say more about that? I mean, I can definitely imagine what the urgent healthcare struggles are given that we're in a pandemic, but um, like where uh, where are some good places for people to prioritize in their activism right now? I think yeah. one of the big issues, sorry, sorry Alice. <laughs> one of the big issues is that for so many people, healthcare is tied to their jobs. And with the pandemic, so many people are not employed. And we're even seeing statistics now that this is impacting women, especially people of color, especially um, already low income earners, especially. Um, and now none of them have healthcare. So in terms of this present moment, talking about that relationship of the, of having our healthcare tied to the job and how limiting that is, how restricting that is, how potentially deadly that is uh, to people with uh, pre-existing conditions or people who maybe get COVID and then don't seek care because they're afraid they can't afford it. Um, that, that piece of, of medical debt, of not being able to afford to be sick is so, so huge. And it's one of the main pieces that when we do and talk to people that we, we talk to them about and that they're telling our, their stories to us of, and I didn't you know, get my insulin because I couldn't afford it. I almost died because I couldn't buy an EpiPen, which actually happened to me this last week. <laughs> I, I had a, an allergic reaction and, and had to go to the hospital because I had not gotten a new EpiPen in years um, because they've gotten so expensive. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to see the connection between the pandemic and the issues that we're having now, but it's also because of the pandemic even easier to see how these issues have been building up for years and years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, I, it's also like, I, I think that a, a lot of people are starting to get their heads around um, how uh, how bad private insurance is, especially as you know premiums go up and uh, deductibles go up. I mean, my my work, I, like I I have the dream. Like after years and years, I have an employer sponsored healthcare plan. Uh, it's I have a five thousand dollar deductible, so that they don't pay a cent until I pay. Uh, $5,000 out of pocket. Um, and I think that the exception is that they cover like a well woman visit or something like a, you know, me getting a pap smear uh, slash breast exam or whatever. The good but stuff. The good stuff. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the erotic part of healthcare, if you will. Right. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I'm still, you know, I, I didn't have health insurance for years and I'm still paying for everything out of pocket. And I think like my understanding is uh, a lot of uh, companies have kind of gone more towards these like high deductible plans or have changed their policies in a way that like some stuff that used to be covered even before you hit your deductible is now no longer covered. Um, and I don't know if that's like how much is related to actually trying to offset costs um, with uh, COVID or if it's just 100% uh, pretend. But uh, do you two have any thoughts on that? I mean, for myself, uh, just today, in fact, so I have severe asthma and other chronic illnesses. I got COVID in March and was hospitalized. I had three procedures over the summer um, that all required hospitalization afterwards. Um, and just today I got three bills for between $300 and $600 each um, because my insurance decided that it was no longer interested in covering part of those days. I was seen by out of network doctors. You don't get a choice in who you get to see in the hospital. It's just sort of whoever shows up. Um, and, and I'm lucky because I'm only 24 and I'm still able to be under my dad's health insurance, um, which is much better than anything I would have been able to afford on my own. And I still have thousands of dollars of medical debt. that <laughs> I just am not paying because it's, it's impossible. Like I will never pay it off. And because I'm a person with chronic illness, and because of the current state of our healthcare system, I'm starting out, my whole adult life so far has been defined by medical debt. And I don't see a future where that ends unless we get single payer healthcare. I am 100% on board with everything that you just said, except that you are 24. Yeah, um, that's uh, we actually we actually are going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I'm sorry. I'll do it. Some really, <laughs> really great talking to you. Look, I, I love that for you. And I, I celebrate you. Um, I don't acknowledge anyone under the age of 25. But does it um, help? I'm turning 25 in a few weeks. <laughs> you know what? It, it actually doesn't. It doesn't yeah. not, oh, well, uh, not help. Yeah. But, uh, no, uh, no, we love that for you. We celebrate your youth and, uh, <laughs> I am, uh, uh, I, uh, it's okay. I, I accept the hate. It's, <laughs> you know, it comes every day. <laughs> Just don't tweet too much about being 24. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, I would never do it from like my own account, just from other random ones. You, you have an all trace back to account. me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> working group, uh, yeah. Twitter account is yeah. in fact 24 years old. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the DSA healthcare, NYC DSA uh, healthcare Twitter account is like, as a 24 year old, send. Yeah. Next one going out. I'm scheduling it right now. That's yes. the next one coming out. <laughs> um, so I, uh, yeah, I want to kind of um, switch focus for a minute to like why this is uh, part of a, how this is part of a broader strategy to maybe get, um, you know, federal universal health care. Um, and, you know, uh, that's a, a subject that has uh, been in the spotlight 
a lot recently because we are in a pandemic, but also because, um, you know, there's been some debate about this on the on the left recently, too, with um, forced to vote and uh, people kind of like, you know, talking about what would be the efficacy of forcing a floor vote on Medicare for all at this moment. Um, While I'm not opposed to that strategy, definitely doesn't seem like there is uh, the support in uh, Congress, especially the Senate, uh, to actually pass Medicare for all at a federal level at this moment. And so I was really excited about um, the New York Health Act and also uh, there's something similar happening in California right now, a similar campaign. And um, to me, it just seems like, you know, kind of passing it and uh, seeing it really work well at the state level is going to sell a lot more people on the idea. What are your yeah. thoughts? That's what that's what Canada did. And so that's like exciting. <laughs> but yeah, in Saskatchewan got uh, got single payer and then it it kind of spread across the country. I think like New York is is huge and could be like a really powerful like payer, could have really good bargaining power when it comes to um, you know, coming up against uh, like pharma and stuff like that and and prices could go down significantly. So I think like just in that it is like a well-constructed single-payer system um, and that it like really could work well for people. I think just like seeing that and, and seeing the recognition that like, you know, healthcare is being uh, understood and recognized as, as a human right in this place. Uh, I feel like it makes a lot of sense to me that that would would spread, and I think that like by starting to like build the base for that, um, you know, it's yeah. I think it would it would continue to come up against like really really tough challenges like everywhere, and and I think that's kind of part of the problem of the the maybe idea that there's like one kind of simple solution to getting this is that really like a lot of work needs to go into just uh, building the the power of the working class, and uh, you know having people understand that like, or having people kind of activated and, and part of this fight. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like doing that here uh, could, yeah, could set like an amazing precedent for the rest of the country. I'm also curious about, um, you know, where unions fit in this fight, because uh, I know that you know, there's definitely uh, definitely some major unions that have gotten on board with Medicare for All, National Nurses United, and that to me seems like a really key part of the strategy as well. Um, what, if any, work is DSA doing to, um, you know, reach out to to unions? Or yeah, I'll let you I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is some union support for the New York Health Act. So um, the New York State Nurses Association and uh, SEIU, SEI, SEIU 1199 um, are, are on board. There is also like some, some union opposition, um, at least from kind of the leadership of, of several unions. Um, I think part of that, part of the argument comes in saying like, you know, that unions have, have worked so hard to bargain for the healthcare benefits that they have, that this would somehow like make that work like moot. Um, and then I think there's also an element to it uh, where, you know, part of what unions are doing is um, is kind of like facilitating these benefits. Um, ultimately, I think that there is a lot of, of rank and file, uh, you know, union member support for the New York Health Act. And, and it like, in my opinion, it, it would just do so much for working people, um, including, you know, benefits that your average health plan doesn't include, like um, uh, long-term care, which is something that, you know, anyone who, uh, like lots of people are going to need long-term care. I think it's oftentimes like something that people aren't thinking much about, but just having that as, as a benefit would do a lot for, you know, both people who don't currently have insurance and people who do have insurance that just doesn't cover it. Um, so, I think what we're trying to do and what I think we, we're hoping to like really build out this strategy more is really engage with um, rank and file union members um, on you know, building support within those unions and, and expressing that support for the New York Health Act. Um, 
what is uh what is like kind of the whole picture of the healthcare working groups strategy um i know it's uh there's a lot of canvassing involved um i know can you talk a little bit about the canvassing and other things um that you're working with i think um Alice is probably better suited to talk about the on the ground stuff. Um, I get to hide behind my computer mostly and email people and as we've already discussed, uh, tweet them from the 24 year old account. Right. Um, <laughs> as, as the resident 24 year old, you are the most online um, with your fellow Zoomers. Um, yeah, I, if it helps, I, I hate my own age group. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what we have noticed is that certain, um, representatives are much more susceptible to online pressure. Carl Heasty is an example of that. Um, so we've done a few. He really is. He yeah, is it's, tr it's true. I, this is, <laughs> I, I'm uh, in the, the DSA Brooklyn Housing Working Group and we realized that so quickly that Carl Hasty can be, is just very concerned with what people are, people are saying about him online. It's, like that it's this, fun to play with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like that this uh, started as joke online harassment, and now we're getting into the efficacy of real online harassment. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in this weird place of like social media is my job, and also I recognize that it's sort of this terrible black hole of you know, depression and tears and anger and hatred and cynicism and, you know, all things wonderful. Um, but we do know that there is an effect. And importantly, like, since we're all shut up in our houses now anyway, utilizing those tools are really important. Um, so for us, we have uh, led a couple digital days of action um, where we were able to get a number of signups of folks to um, call their representatives to make sure they express their support. Um, and we did this with DSA chapters across the state as well as other organizations, including um, Campaign for New York Health, um, among others. Um, uh, and, and it was, you know, we've had a decent amount of success. And especially since we're in the stage of like building the narrative and, and building up these healthcare stories and getting people to understand how it affects them as individuals. Um, and people are online. If all, even if they're not online, you know, like, like what happens on Twitter is, is done by a very small percentage of the population, but it blossoms out into the wider world. And so people don't even realize that they're engaging with the narratives being driven on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, um, because they have such a hold over society as a whole. So if we can target people there in those places and where young people are, um, who then bring it to their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their friends, et cetera, um, then we grow our base of support. Yeah, and I think in yeah, in addition to um, to yeah, like the the really I think pretty successful so far digital days of action, um, we've also um, yeah we've just been engaged. I think our our field team model so far. So at the moment we have field teams in North Brooklyn, South Brooklyn, Central Brooklyn, um, and Queens, and then we're trying to build up uh, field teams, especially with like potentially new members in the Bronx, Upper Manhattan branch, Lower Manhattan, and Staten Island. Um, but basically like the idea behind that is, is having a, a regular canvassing operation. So just kind of being present in our neighborhoods, speaking to our neighbors about the New York Health Act, um, you know, listening, uh, more than we're talking. So bringing up the fact that this is, that single payer healthcare is an option and that it's something that, um, they deserve that their representatives might have actually won their election and gotten their job from, but, um, haven't, you know, taken real action on yet. Um, and finding out, you know, ways that they want to be plugged into the fight, finding out what 
kind of healthcare issues they're dealing with. Um, in some cases, like the Campaign for New York Health put together a really great survey that um, they and we are using to collect people's healthcare stories, um, which are like really powerful testimonials to kind of the need for this because there are, you know, so many people um, have been, you know, patients, caretakers have, you know, not been able to afford medication. Um, so I think like working, just like being present in, in those areas. Um, and then part of that was also promoting our, our uh, virtual town halls. So with several of the socialist elected state legislators, we're, um, we're having these town hall events where we speak to them, we speak to uh, healthcare experts in their areas, people who are leaders in, in the community uh, organizing around healthcare issues. So in central Brooklyn, for example, we spoke to someone who has uh, is a, a nurse whistleblower uh, who speaks about um, and has done a lot of research and advocacy around um, black maternal and infant mortality in Brooklyn, which is like a really, uh, horrendous epidemic that, you know, is only gets worse as the kind of uneven um, uh, funding of hospitals happens. So I think we, we work on that. And then um, we're hoping to work more with actually legislators offices, because now we have these socialists in office who have this like really incredible um, platform and then also ability to kind of be advocates for these great policies in Albany. Um, and then, you know, are, are visible and can can work with their constituents both in in solving their individual healthcare issues and in the role of like constituent services and also you know be kind of these outspoken advocates for the New York Health Act um, in those positions so I think like in terms of that's like a lot of what um, individual members of the New York City DSA are doing and then also as I kind of mentioned before um, we're trying to work harder on and trying to build out um, this kind of labor strategy where we speak more and more to rank and file union members um, to express support. So I think those are kind of like some of the main parts of what we're doing in New York City. And then also obviously working with our coalition partners like the Campaign for New York Health and, um, and lots of other organizations. That's so awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit like more broadly about um, like, you know, what DSA is and sort of like multiple areas where people could get involved uh, with DSA if they want to? The, the short answer is that DSA is a big tent socialist organization that is growing rapidly um, and that people can say they're all DSA members if they joined a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, the, you know, slightly longer answer is And that, boy, do I. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, despite my youthful age, I, I've, I've been around for so long. <laughs> um, but the, you know, the longer answer is like, we're an organization with chapters across the United States and um, they're active and they're getting people elected. They're working on passing policies locally, nationally. Um, and importantly, they tackle all of the issues. Um, and so you, no matter where you live, no matter what the problem is where you live, uh, you can address that th through DSA. Um, and we're no longer the blip that we once were, we are, I'm gonna say a blot as opposed to a blip now. Um, <laughs> and, we're, and we're only gonna get bigger. Yeah, they, I mean, membership has really grown precipitously, especially after, you know, after Bernie ran in, in 2016, um, that's when I joined. Uh, I joined in, in 2017 and um, I think that I've only seen you know we've only seen it to continue to grow since then and is, since a lot of the issues that Bernie ran on in 16 have become really like mainstream kitchen table issues um, and it's I think it's a really exciting time I was actually just talking to um, someone who is an elected counselor for the Labour Party in the UK, and he said that there were um, a number of 
folks at, in la labor leadership who spoke to um, kind of higher level members of, of DSA to talk about the successes that DSA has had. Um, obviously it's kind of hard to, you know, it, it is very much like a state by state sort of like city by city uh, situation because I think one of the great things about DSA and what, what he was saying is that like what the progressive left organizing is missing in the UK is the kind of ground game that DSA has. Um, and I know that since I've been a member, every campaign I've worked on has been local, uh, has been just like very sort of, you know, state assembly, state senate. Um, you know, it's, it's very much been about what is in our own backyard. And I think that that's, I think that's a huge, I think that's a huge cornerstone of, of its success um, as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's but like, even when you think about like, you're talking about the, the housing working group and how there's this opportunity to like organize just literally like where you live or, mm -hmm. or speaking to neighbors about, um, about a lot of these issues or like the the defund campaign um and attacks the rich are two campaigns in new york city right now that i think are like kind of breaking down some of the silos between um like the different issues that different working groups are working on so there's like the housing working group healthcare, anti-war racial justice working group um eco-socialists and and like obviously i think we realize as socialists that those issues are like all so intertwined that like you can't be healthy while you're being abused by the police or while you're living in like bad housing conditions and so i think like there are also a lot of ways that like um in new york that like these these different campaigns are like working together i think also like coming together to elect yeah like socialist city councilors socialist state legislators um who like have platforms that encompass all these issues um like yeah i think plugging into those those electoral campaigns or into the working groups are, I don't know, really good ways to get involved. I've been doing the healthcare stuff for like, I don't know, six months now, and uh, it's become my whole personality. So <laughs> it's a testament to how quickly you can become annoying about DSA if you just <laughs> really put your mind to it. Well, you know, it's, it's really quick, actually. Um, because, and, it, and, it's, and it's not because we're annoying. It's just because the work that we're doing is important and you should care about it and it's affects all of us um yeah. one thing i wanted to kind of talk about with you just for a moment um because i think it kind of gets to like part of the reason why we julia and i started this show is like you know for folks who are maybe like starting to get interested in socialism or you know just generally have questions about like uh what why capitalism is not so good after all, you know, Julia and I were both people that I think felt very kind of off put by like some of what we saw online. And I have personally found that to be so unrepresentative of like the folks that I met, like volunteering with the Bernie Sanders campaign and, you know, the people that I have, uh, you know, gotten to work with um, in DSA and stuff. And, you know, I was just, to me, it seems like, um, the people that you meet in real life there's there's a like a, a goodwill and a sincerity that is like sometimes missing on the internet not to like you know be like you know a civility cop or something because it's fun to be mean online but <laughs> i just i feel like the vibe is really different with real life activism and i was wondering if you could speak to that for a moment there's yeah no question there's a big disconnect between the online banter to put it kindly, and the the on the ground work, um, and I think like my general rule is like I have friends and I have comrades, and comrades are not necessarily friends, but comrades are people who are like in the trenches with me, and I can count on them, and we have each other's back, and we will go kill some capitalists together, um, but like maybe we don't have movie dates or I don't know what your friends do I'm not even sure anymore <laughs> but that's that um 
part of what uh, is so crucial to the culture of DSA is that local piece that we were talking about before. And it really makes people engaged and aware because it's in their face. I think sometimes when I talk with uh, people in Europe, um, or in the UK, which is not Europe anymore, um, there, you know, there's sort of like this, I think French people are often like, why are you not rioting in the streets? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> and it's on, like, my answer is sort of, well, there's not literal garbage piling up in the streets because, you know, our sanitation workers aren't unionized for the most part and they don't go on strike and, you know, it's not in our faces. Um, but when you make the issue super local, the way that DSA often does, it is in your face. And that's how they're able to drive so many engaged volunteers because nobody, nobody gets paid for any of this. And people are spending 20, 30, 40, 60 hours a week um, working on these different campaigns. Um, and and that's, how you, that's how you get these comrades. Like th these are bonds for life. Um, no matter what, uh, let's call, you know, loving conversation happens online, there, there, is, there is real, real connection and, and real support um, in person. Yeah, there are, there are assholes online on, in every corner of the internet, certainly. And that was one of the first things that I noticed when I joined was it, to me, could not have been a more disparate experience. Uh, the you know we were joking about progressive stack before, but everything in DSA meetings is very like orderly. Some people say to a fault, <laughs> and like uh, you know, uh, you know, deeply respectful. Uh, I feel like we're constantly apologizing to each other over <laughs> in the uh, in our discussion. Oh, oh I'm so, I'm sorry for uh, for interrupting you if you weren't you weren't finished it's it's very it's a very respectful environment and it's a very it's very it's a very it's always a very thoughtful discussion and it's a i think there is a lot of self-awareness that happens um amongst comrades which is doesn't always happen online uh yeah and i think and one of the things you learn early is how to disagree well if you yes. don't know that coming in you learn it fast because it's not accepted no <laughs> no it's like i you know even and there certainly is because you know dsa is not a monolithic organization no matter how uh much how vigorously certain people try to to paint us as such it's it's not there, you know, there are, there's a spectrum of kind of political ideologies um, within DSA. So there are naturally going to be disagreements. And in our housing meetings, I'm sure that you guys have this too, but there's the, um, and it sounds almost, it sounds almost a little childish or silly, but it's like the oops, ouch system, which is basically like, if you offend someone it, or if, if something that you say is offensive, you just have like the baseline expectation that everyone is operating under good faith. So it's just like pointed out, say, you know, say this was a yikes moment for me. The person should like apologize and then you just move on. It's not this, you know, it's not a federal investigation. It's <laughs> On the other hand, it, like the Wokatarians could tone it down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Even in person. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's true. I'm, I just want to say that <laughs> the, I, I think I just, I just wanted to point that out as kind of a contrast to uh, a lot of the, the online rhetoric, which honestly, I have to say the worst offenders that I know from online have never like been officially affiliated with DSA. Um, so, and I would be surprised if they've ever knocked a door a day in their lives. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 
I don't know. I, I also think that I think the DSA is such a powerful organization to get involved with, again, circling back to the local aspect of it, because I think for a lot of us and all four of us, I believe, are white women on this on this call. Um, you know, it's like, yes, DSA is too white. Certainly it is. We, we talk about that a lot internally. Um, but I think this is a way for getting involved in our communities is a way to like meet our neighbors, talk to our neighbors about their material needs and try to affect change in whatever small or large way we can. And I do think that there's value in that. I think we're setting up building blocks and we're already seeing those towers getting taller and taller by the month. Yeah. I think it's that a, this is a, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. I was just saying like, it's a, it's a fight. It's a, it's the, you know, the forces that we're, that we're fighting against in these, uh, not just in DSA, but just like on the left writ large are like, you know, the healthcare, the for-profit healthcare industry, the real estate industry. Um, you know, we mentioned Carl Hasty before, the, who is the, um, the speaker of the, the state assembly. Yeah. yeah. His, I remember, I mean, <laughs> the head of the real estate board of New York, which is the lobbying wing of the real estate industry is Carl Hasty's college roommate and I mean that's not a coincidence I know and it's just like there's these these forces and these industries are like so enmeshed in our policies and just all the things that like affect our day-to-day -day lives as New Yorkers that it can be really overwhelming, but being, I, I mean, there is nothing, there's nothing I've done in the past five years that has given me more hope for the future than joining DSA. Because, because everything is, is kind of local, you get to see these like wins up close. And there are a lot of wins you man mentioned Jabari Brisport and Ferris Front Forest, who are two of our former guests, they both won their elections. We've had, you know, here in New York State, we've elected socialists to so many different levels of government, and it's only going to continue. And it's just, I just think that it's, you know, it's not a perfect organization, but it gives me more hope than any political body that I, that I can think of. And it's not even close. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, like hope is a, it's tough to come by right now. Like I was thinking the other day of just like, you know, just what these past uh, few months have been like, and, you know, just like how much different it would have felt if like, you know, we were in the pandemic, but Bernie Sanders was about to be the president. And we were like having a conversation about, you know, how could we really meet people's material needs right now instead of like, you know, is it going to be uh, 1400 or 2000 or 600 bucks for people who like lost everything, you know, during the pandemic. And it's, you know, it's just really, uh, it's, I think it's, um, I think there's a lot to be said for like, you know, it's important to to feel the sense of urgency because there are so many things right now that are, um, you know, really, really, really serious problems. And there's some where there's not like a ton of time, like climate change, you know, but like, I think that like taking, you know, concrete actions, especially with other people, like can do a lot for that feeling of despair. And like, you know, just 
okay, like we're, <laughs> we're on the left. Like we are like living in the most capitalist country of all time ever. And uh, we lose quite a bit mostly, you know, but um, to like have a place to channel the energy besides tweeting, I think can do a lot for <laughs> one's mental state. It doesn't have to be DSA. It could also be like, you know, mutual aid or uh, organizing in your workplace, but yeah, it, it helps a lot to do something. Or organizing your, organizing your apartment building. Yes. Tenants, yeah. Tenants Association. We talk about that all the time. There's nothing more local than your own friggin' building. Yes. I'm organizing my cats. And yeah. I, I, but you know, much to my chagrin, I have discovered that they uh, were already organized against me. <laughs> they I do am, that. I, I, am the, I am the boss in this situation. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think in general, it's best to operate without hope because then you have expectations that don't get met. Um, But then you have a win and it's like extra exciting because you weren't expecting it. Um, But like beyond DSA, I think what it's done and what it's done in coalition with other groups like Sunrise, like, um, I don't know, I'm blanking on all of the other organizations, but you know, they exist. is they've changed this national dialogue so that people, whether or not they're like willing to touch DSA with a 10 foot pole or, you know, a hundred, whatever it may be, um, they're now thinking about these issues. They've sort of come to a reckoning of like, there are two systems in this country and there is one that serves wealthy people and there is one that, you know, doesn't serve the rest of us. I'm going to need you to pause there. <laughs> no. No. Mind blown. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um I one other thing I want to one maybe last thing I want to point out about DSA is I think that we get a reputation for being and the left writ large also gets this in, reputation of being like a purity obsessed uh movement or or what have you but dsa works in coalition with other organizations all the time the housing justice for all um coalition was just that here in new york state and it was you know dsa was the furthest left group in the coalition um you know we were working with like nonprofits and or other organizations like make the road um but I think that is that is another myth that I want to dispel about DSA is that uh, we're kind of like a separatist, like uh, just not out for ourselves, but just like fiercely independent organization. No, we're like the people in this organization understand that like the importance of coalition building for achieving our policy goals. Um, and I think that that's, that's really, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about it. DSA rocks. <laughs> yeah. and, I, bottom I, line. I, I, I do feel like, uh, I, you know, Julia, I do feel like I see your Christian teen energy coming through. I know. And I, this, <laughs> I, I, you know, as I've gotten to know you throughout the years, I know that you were an angelical, evangelical teen, but I see, yeah. I see what it looked like right now when you were on fire for the Lord. I'm, I'm on fire for the Lord. <laughs> You're on fire for the Lord. All right. Yeah. So Alice, Maya, where can people uh, find you online so that they can, uh, you know, harass, harass you? <laughs> Um, there's several places. So if you want to sign up to work with us, um, you can go to bit.ly slash NYC DSA health. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, um, we're NYC DSA underscore health and on Instagram, the NYC DSA health without the underscore, because, you know, we just like to keep things consistent like that. Um, and if you want to go bug Carl Heasty, um, his Twitter handle is, I think it's Carl E. Heasty. You know, it's, that's a thing I should know. That's, that's, uh, so, no, it's, <laughs> it's just Carl Heasty. Carl Heasty. Uh, at Carl Heasty. Um, he really does care about what you think of him. 
which yeah. is fun. Let them yeah. know. Let them know that you think you he should really sponsor the New York Health Act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can also, uh, if you are interested in getting involved with the working group beyond what um, Maya said, you can also email us at healthcare at socialists.nyc. Mail. Many ways. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show and uh, get involved with DSA, uh, meet some bros. And uh, yes, thanks. Thank you both so much. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash reply guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.